My, uh, my wife was on the phone the other day with a family friend or a family member, and I'm um, talking to him, and, and as they were having a conversation, uh, she, he was telling her, he said, hey, you know, my wife's got this stitch fix box, right? Try to say that real fast five times. It's not pretty, but, but this is a box where you basically you get online, you say, hey, this is the kind of clothing I like, this is how old I am, all these kind of stuff and criteria. Then they send you this box of clothes, and they say, try them on. Anything you like, keep, pay for it. Anything you don't, send it back to us. You don't have to pay for it. And so she's trying on this clothes while Kara's on, on the phone with, again, this family member. And, uh, and next thing you know, you hear her coming down the steps. And, and the husband says, says, oh, babe, those jeans look amazing on you. She said, well, they should. I've had them for three years. <laughs> the shirt and the shoes are brand new, however. <laughs> Dudes, we can't win, can we? We try. <laughs> we try. We just can't. We're in this series called Heart Attack, and uh, no, this is not a medical series. This is about relationships, specifically marriage. And so throughout this marriage, we're talking about, or throughout this series, we're, we're talking about, that's what marriage does to you, right? Throughout this series, we're just talking about marriage and, and, and how powerful marriage can be and, and the struggles that are theirs too. We have this verse that we keep going back and forth to. It's in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it above all else guard your heart because everything you do flows from it now, now we talked the very first week we said truthfully what is inside of us we, we call that our heart our, our conscience our, our spirit the emotions that is a part of who we are and, and whatever is deep down inside of us is at one point in time it's just going to come out it's going to flow from who we are so our actions and our words are going to flow from what's deep down in us and so when it comes to something like marriage guess what Whatever is deep down inside of us is going to flow out of us into our marriage, which means our words and our actions are going to flow from deep down within our heart. And so the idea behind this series is to try to keep us from getting to this place where we have this heart attack when it comes to our marriage. And I hope over the past couple of weeks you've gathered some information, some, some knowledge, and have begun to take some steps to maybe make your, your marriage more heart healthy than it's ever been. Well, as we look back over the past few weeks, we, we've talked about a, a couple of different things. We, we've talked about how within any relationship, specifically in marriage, we bring this desire box into that relationship. And, and what we do is, as we're walking down the aisle, we have these desires. Th these are our hopes. These are our dreams. Maybe our wants within that relationship. And so we bring that into our marriage. But then what happens after we get married is that box of desires becomes our box of expectations. And so now we take these expectations and we dump them on our spouse. We say, hey, these are my desires, but now they're my expectations. Basically, my obligations that I need you fulfill as my spouse, I'm dumping these on you. Now make these happen. Well, when you got two people that are doing the exact same thing, reality, as we said, is not pretty at all. And so there's a struggle that we have when it comes to the reality of that relationship. Because here are two people trying to live as two people. And we dump these expectations, and our hope is, if we're lucky, our spouse will help live those out. And so the, over this series, we've been talking about how do we kind of deal with this? How do we work with this? Well, the, this morning, I want to go back to these desires that we have. Because what we find is when those expectations aren't being met, our box of desires becomes unsatisfied. They never come to fruition. And so we still have this, this box of desires in our life. So what does it look like for us when we have these unsatisfied desires? What do we do? 
Well, I think there's sort of progression that we take. Uh, The first one is we ignore them. We ignore these desires that we have. We just say, hey, I'm going to act like these are not there. We can say we're not hungry, right, and and not eat. But but what do we know? If we do that, we're going to waste away. We're going to die. We need that nourishment. We need food. I believe the desires that we have, now there are the desires that we have that are earthly desires, you know, the, the house and the car and the money and, and the kids, but there are also these God-given desires. And we talked about these last week, to, these desires to be accepted and, and to be loved and to be respected and cared for. And so all of us, no matter who you are, you've all got, we've all got these desires that God has given us. And yet what we try to do is ignore them. We act like <laughs> they don't even exist. And, and when we do that, those desires go unsatisfied. And so there's a next step to this. Not only do we ignore our desires, then we begin to stay busy. We say, hey, if I can't have these desires met, I need something else to fulfill my time, to fill the time up, to, to help me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm spending wisely what I'm doing with my life and the time that I have because, man, these desires, they're not happening. And so we find different ways to stay busy. We work more hours. We get up earlier, go to work earlier. Stay work later, we come home, we take our work to our office within our home, we do more work. They ask people, hey, I want some people to go on this trip, and what do we do? We raise our hand like, please send me, it's for two months, that sounds great. (laughs) I don't have to deal with these desires, this is what we do, we stay busy. Or we play harder. We have hobbies, we have activities, we have events, organizations that we're a part of, and we just spend more time doing those because it keeps us out of the house it keeps us away from that relationship it it helps us to forget that we have these desires or or probably even the bigger issue I think that many parents have today is our kids become focused and in fact as I look at at many marriages today and I know it sounds weird but but parents are more married to their kids than they are their spouse you're spending more time with your kids than you are your spouse And, and we put our kids in all these activities and these events why A lot of times it's just so we don't have to be around our spouse. It keeps us busy. And the more busy we stay, the less we think about the desires we have. But then that that leads us to our our last piece here where we find someone else to satisfy our desires because those desires are there. And guess what? We need to be nursed, whatever those desires may be. And so what do we do? We go and find someone else who we think can fulfill those desires we give up on the relationship that we have and we begin to move on and so in the end what we think we're doing is taking steps to be healthy when it comes to our marriage but the truth is we've been taking these steps that aren't healthy because we've been trying to protect ourselves and not work on this relationship that we have with our spouse Uh, This morning, I want to talk about these unsatisfied desires and and how we deal with them, and and I think a better way, hopefully a a healthier way. And so today, I want to share with you a a character trait that I believe we all need to have that can help us within marriage. And and then I want to share some just some practical steps that we can take that we're calling CPR, all right? So you can give your marriage a little CPR action starting today to, to help it be heart healthy. And so we're going to talk about these things this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter. We're going to spend our time in 1 Peter today, chapter 5. Let me give you a little background here about 1 Peter before we get started. Um, 1 Peter was probably written by Peter, one of Jesus' apostles. And this is actually what's known as a circular letter. 
Uh, Peter wrote this not to a specific church, but to a group of people uh, of different churches, mostly in Asia Minor. And so what he would do, he would write these letters and he would send it to this church and this church would get it. And then they would read it out loud. And then more than likely, they would make a copy of it. So they had these teachings. And then they take that original, they'd give it to another messenger. That messenger would take it to the next church and they would do the exact same thing. So it was known as a circular letter because it went to all these different places. So everybody was getting the same teachings. So first Peter, we find that this is what's happening. He's sending this letter to all these churches is in Asia Minor. And Peter in this letter, in 1 Peter, he's trying to encourage these followers of Christ. He's like, man, this is, this is some really tough times. You're, you're suffering right now. And, and this letter is probably written towards the end of Nero's reign. Uh, so a really tough time within the Roman Empire at that time, of course, especially if you were a follower of Christ. And, and so not only is he saying, hey, I'm going to encourage you during the suffering. Here's what else you need to do. I need you to trust in God. Put your faith, put your trust in God. I know it's hard. But it's important that you do this. And so here in 1 Peter chapter 5, we read some of the words that are shared with these different churches. 1 Peter 5, starting with 5. And we're actually starting with what we call 5B, okay? Uh, I'll explain that in, in a second. So in the middle of the verse there, it says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. This is actually a, a bad separation of, uh, of themes within uh, the book of Peter. Uh, when they went through and they were deciding, hey, how do we kind of separate this? Uh, let me go back a second. In 1551, what we did, we added chapters and verses to Scripture. Peter didn't write this and put his own chapters and Scripture or, or verses in. Uh, it's not the way it worked. But in 1551, somebody said, hey, let's make it easier for us to find this. And so that's where the chapters and verses come from. And so as they were translating the Greek, they didn't translate this very well. Because the very beginning of chapter 5, it's talking about leadership in the church. And then all of a sudden, it's like it's changed themes in the middle of this paragraph to relationships. So what's going on here? The reality is they didn't separate it in the right place. This should be a whole new idea, a whole new theme, uh, a whole new paragraph. But as, as we look at chapter 5 here, verse 5, 5b here. Peter says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. He doesn't say some of you. He doesn't say just a group of you. He says all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility. Practice humility towards one another. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. This is a great definition of what humility looks like. I mean, humility is this, this modest view of, of ourself, right? That, that we don't see ourselves better than anyone else. We, we actually even kind of put ourselves on, on a lower level. It's like we're a servant to those around us. I think about humility for a moment. And I wonder, what would it look like in our culture today if more people were humble? Think about where we live, right? This area of the country. What would happen in a place like this if more people in leadership within our government, within our political system, within our military, within our businesses, within our churches, we were more humble. We were more humble about who we are. It's a struggle that I think so many of us have. And we see it all around us every single day. What would happen in our world if more people were humble? What would happen in our relationships if more of us were humble? Think about what would happen in our marriages if humility was a trait that we carried within us. 
It's hard to be humble. But here we have Peter and Paul that are both saying, hey, humility is so important. In Greek mythology, there's a story of this really handsome, beautiful young man. And he, uh, he's walking around one day, and, and he's in love. But he's not in love with someone else. He's in love with himself. And so he, he sees this pool of water, and as he looks in it, he sees this reflection of himself, and, and he can't stop looking at himself in this reflection. And in fact, he does it so long, he just wastes the way, and he dies. You're probably familiar with the story. It's Narcissus. This is a, an area of the country where we have many, many narcissists, right? Some of us may even be in this room today. But when we think about narcissism, it's this love of self. This is this love of who I am. It's that the world is here for me and not me for the world. Which, if you think about it, is so different than humility. But here's the truth. Every single one of us in this place today has some narcissism. Think about it. Are there things about yourself that are more important than anybody else? Maybe stature at work. You're looking for that promotion to leapfrog those other people. Or, or here's even a better way to look at it. When it comes to marriage, what's in the expectation box that we have? What's that about? That's about one thing. That's about me. This is what I expect you to do for me. And so truthfully, if we really are honest with ourselves in this expectation box, there's all kinds of narcissism. And you and I, we bring this into these relationships. And yet here's Peter. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Don't clothe yourself in narcissism. Clothe yourself in humility. But notice there, he says, clothe yourself. He doesn't say put on the shoes of humility or, or the belt of humility. He says, clothe yourself, your whole body. Make humility a part of who you are on a day-to-day -day basis. Let go of those expectations. Let go of that narcissism and put others ahead of yourself. And then Peter says this in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Peter basically gives us some steps here that we can take or what can happen if we take specific actions. If we look here, there's an action that we are asked to do. Peter says, humble yourselves under God. Which means your number one priority, my number one priority in my relationships need to be to put God first. That's it. Focus on Jesus. Make that central to everything in my life. Make Jesus who I follow. Make God the leader of my life. And the way I do that is by humbling myself before God and saying, hey, God, I'm here to follow you. Some of us, we've got that. We understand that. We live that out. And then for others of us, we struggle with that. And for maybe a few of us, we're in that place right now. We're trying, to, we're trying to figure that piece out. What does it look like for us to humble ourselves? It's one of the reasons we talk about baptism here at The Journey. It's one of the steps that we take in our spiritual journey. And maybe you've been following Christ for a while, and you're at the place of like, hey, you know, I truly want to take this next step. And maybe for others, you're like, man, I, I, I need to do that now. I want to be all in. And so baptism is a big step that we take in that spiritual journey. And if that's the place that you're in today, we'd love for you to take that connection card in front of you and put your name and information on it and mark, I want to be baptized. We'll just sit down and have a conversation. You don't have to jump into the water yet, but we can talk about it. Why? This is a way that we show this humbleness to God. And we humble ourselves under God's leadership. And so Peter says the first thing is let God be the leader of your life. 
But then there's a response that God gives us, and that response is God will lift you up, which I think means that there's hope for our marriages. There's hope for the narcissism that we carry within the relationship that we have. There's, there's blessings that God wants to send our way. Now, what do they look like? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're physical in some way. Uh, maybe they're spiritual blessings. Maybe, maybe the struggle we have with marriage is just to bring us closer to God. Maybe it's something that happens way down the road, years and years from now. Maybe it's something that happens in the next life. We don't know. But what we do know is that Peter says our first step is to humble ourselves and to humble ourselves under God's leadership. And if we do that, God, God will then bless us. God will lift us up. And then we have a time frame. It says God will lift you up in due time. I love Bible stuff because... This is one of those church answers, right? Like, we want to know, hey, so you're talking about like two weeks, guys? Two months? I might have two years. Peter's like, in due time. That can mean in due time. We don't know. But what we do know from looking at this is that Peter says, God will do something at some point in time. If we humble ourselves under the leadership of God, God will lift us up. God will bless us so that doesn't mean you hear something today you apply it on monday and on tuesday your marriage is perfect right we wish that would be awesome but what we know is it takes time and god's time is not like our time and so whatever god's time is it means that you and i have the responsibility of being humble under god's leadership and let god lead us forward and whatever we may be facing within our marriage now, some of you in here, you're like, sounds great, but you don't know my marriage, and you don't know my spouse, and you don't know what we're going through, and you know what? That is so true. And then that's why I think Peter writes these words in verse 7. Here's what he says. He says, cast all your anxiety on him. Uh, verse 7 here actually wasn't a brand new sentence. It was a part of verse 6, so it was actually sort of a, a, a run-along um, the sentence there. It all went together. But as he says, cast all your anxiety on him, cast means to throw, Okay? He's not talking about just, just kind of lay it down softly or, or set it down. He says throw it. Just, just throw it all right on God. Just, just give it all to God. And, and then he says throw all. The Greek word there for all is all. Okay, so everything. Throw everything. Learn Greek today. There you go. Throw all your anxiety. A better definition is burden. Throw all your burden onto God. Give it all to God. Just say, God, here it is. How do we do that? We pray. What's the one thing you don't want to do when your marriage stinks? Pray, right? We would rather say and do other things within that marriage. We, we'd, rather, we'd rather give that person a piece of our mind. But here Peter is saying, hey, take the time to pray for your marriage and pray for that relationship. And in that throw, just throw all your burdens on to God's lap, at God's feet. Let God deal with that. But it begins by praying. Now, when I say everything, when I say all, I mean all, okay? Sometimes we look at God and we're afraid to tell God exactly where we are. We're afraid God doesn't know for the, first, for, for the one thing. But, but, but we're afraid that, that we, we may carry it too far. You can't carry it too far. Let God know where you are. Are you angry at your spouse? Hey, let God know. Are you disappointed in your spouse? Let God know. Maybe, maybe you're angry and disappointed at God. Do you know what? Let God know that. 
throw all of your burdens on to God. Give God everything that you have within that marriage and the struggles that you have. Take time to pray. And here's the outcome of that. Cast all your anxiety on him. Throw all your burdens on God because he cares for you. Why do we put it all in there? God cares for you. It goes back to that unconditional love. We've talked about unconditional love over the past couple of weeks and the importance of unconditional love that God has for us and the gift of unconditional love that God has given us. Guess what? When we throw all of our burdens on God, God cares for us. Why? Because God has this unconditional love for us. No matter what we are doing within that marriage right now or what we've done in the past, God still has this unconditional love for you and for me. And all God asks, as Peter says, is for us to humble ourselves under the leadership of God. And if we can get to that point, God will bless us and God will lead us forward. And I believe in due time, God can change and transform our marriages to be heart healthy. But we have to be willing to do that. Now, as humans, our struggle is we think if I humble myself, who's going to take care of, of me? But as it says here, Peter says, because he cares for you, God will take care of you. We just have to give those burdens to God. But do we end there? Because this is what we like to do. We like to say, hey, God, I'm going to let you handle this all, and I'm just going to kind of sit back. But that's not really how this works as best. So, so here we have this, this moment that says, trust in God, humble yourself before God. But then I think there's steps that we need to take. Oliver Cromwell, the English political and military leader, told his soldiers, trust in God and keep your powder dry. So there's this trust in God, but there's also these steps that you've got to take with what you are doing and what you're going through, the, the battle that you may be facing. And so as we think about humility, we, we try to live out humility under God's leadership. I think there's also steps that you and I need to take. And so I want to share with you this morning some CPR, okay? This is great CPR for your marriage if you're willing to take the steps to be humble first. But then there are steps that we can take on our own. We say, God, this is yours. I'm putting this burden on you. And now here are the steps I'm going to take. CPR, here we go. The first one is C, which means confess. Confess. We, uh, in our house, we, we buy water bottles for everybody to drink. Uh, Kara and I don't have any issues, you know, drinking out of the, the kitchen sink. But our kids, I don't know what it is. They just don't like to drink water out of the kitchen sink. We buy water bottles, and they're like, hey, this is great. And they'll drink water bottles. We know we're killing the environment, okay? We understand that, so don't get on to us for that. But anyway, we do recycle. I just want to let you know we do recycle. <laughs> and so it's so funny because we'll walk around the house, and all of a sudden there's all of these water bottles, right? Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. Here's the funny part. They're not, they're not fully drunk. Like there's still water in them. And so we walk around like, whose is this? Who did this? What's going on here? Did you do that? And we hear this every single time. Not me, right? Not me. I, I didn't do that. Karen and I believe there's a fourth kid in our house called Not Me Simpkins. Because <laughs> Not Me has done a lot of bad stuff around our home. But there's all these water bottles. You know what I'd love for my kids to say one day? Like, yeah, Dad, that's mine. I'm really sorry. You know what? I didn't finish drinking it. Father, can I take it now? Would you let me drink the rest of it? <laughs> and then I will recycle so all the recyclers will be happy. Child, that would be wonderful. Would you please do that? No, it's still not me. Nobody knows who they are. So my wife's kind of gross. She'll go around and drink most of them. Like, <laughs> or we give it to the dog, which is even better. So anyway, think about this for a moment. In your marriage... 
How great is it when you hear those words, I'm sorry? They're powerful words, aren't they? I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry I burnt the dinner. I'm sorry I, I didn't get the trash. I'm sorry I forgot to pick up that kid from that event. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about those truly deep I, I'm sorry's. You know, I, I'm sorry for, for dumping the burden of my expectations on you. I'm sorry for not sharing my, my desires with you. I'm sorry I've never tried to fully understand you. I, I'm sorry I, I didn't know your love language it was help and, and how I could use that to help you live out your life and your desires every day. Have you ever said you're sorry for those things? Now, again, you may have said sorry for trivial stuff, but, but have you ever said I'm sorry for those things that, that are really important within that relationship? So one of the best things that we can do within our marriage is to be willing to say I'm sorry, to confess. Do you know how much humility that takes? Because isn't that hard for us to take that step? Because, again, there's so much narcissism that we have that this is about me. We forget sometimes this marriage, it's about us, and it's about that person we're married to, it's about them. One of the best things that we can do is we can confess and start by saying, I'm sorry, to humble ourselves to that moment and be willing to do that. First word, confess. The second one is P, petition. Um, this could also be ask. So I was thinking car or CPR. Well, car doesn't really fit with heart attack, CPR does, so there we go, okay? Uh, you can put ask in there if you want to, but, but P means petition. It means to ask. Um, how much do you know about your spouse? You probably know quite a bit in terms of where they're from, their, their parents. Uh, hopefully you remember their birthday. And, of course, we hope that you know what your anniversary date is. Um, but, but how much do we know, like, beyond that? That's just, again, that's kind of trivial stuff. What, what do we truly know about our, our spouse? And maybe here's some, some petitions we should ask of our, our spouse. Where have I placed on you unrealistic expectations? Now, you ever asked that question before? That's a good conversation starter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Where have I placed on you unrealistic expectations? What can I do to make our marriage better, stronger, and richer? What is in your desire box you want to tell me about? I mean, these are questions that we could ask our spouse, and we could find out so much more. I mean, even if you've been married to somebody 5, 10, 20 years, even beyond that, you learn so much about your spouse by just asking questions. Again, this means that we have to humble ourselves. And the reason is simple, because the answers we get back we may not like. Because more than likely, it means we've got work to do. But are we willing to ask those questions? Are we willing to go deeper with our spouse? To help our, our, our marriage head towards a healthy heart, we have to confess, we have to petition, we have to ask. And then the third thing is reward. Reward. Before we moved here, um, we had a, a dog, a Jack Russell Terrier, and um, I bought it for care right before we got married. And, uh, and so I thought it would be great. So this dog lived 17 years. We had to put it down before we moved here. But... Um, but I thought it would be great to teach this dog some tricks, right? Because I, I didn't have a dog growing up. We had some for a couple of years, and then we didn't have any. Uh, so we had a dog, and, and I thought, well, this is going to be nice. I, I'm going to teach this dog some tricks, specifically how to fetch a ball. And, and so we had a tennis ball, and so started this, this process of trying to teach the kid, the, the kid, the dog how to, well, 
Hey, if you got a dog before you get married, when you get married, that's your kid, right? Um, ask Gary. Um, so you have, this, you have a tennis ball, and you're throwing it, and you want the dog to bring it back to you. So to teach your dog how to do this, they, they don't just normally do this. When you throw it out, they go grab it and bring it right back. Well, what do you have to do? you got to get rewards, right? And, and so you have little doggy treats, and you're like, hey, if you go get the dog ball, and you bring it back, I'm going to give you a treat. And, and finally, Myrtle, Myrtle was the dog's name. Myrtle started to learn how to do this. And so Myrtle would go get the ball and go bring it back. Well, we finally got this place. I didn't need to reward the dog anymore because Myrtle knew exactly what Myrtle wanted to do all the time. And so we go out in public, we go to a park or somewhere, and we'd always have the tennis ball, and we throw it. And, and you know, a lot of times you have dogs, and when there's other dogs around or people around, they just want to go check everything else out. Not Myrtle. Myrtle just went after that tennis ball and would bring it back every single time. People are like, wow, how did you teach your dog to do that? And I'm like, you heard of the dog whisperer? They're like, yeah. They're like, I'm the dog whisperer, -er, right? <laughs> It was just rewards. That was it. And then I think it became an addiction to our dog because that's all our dog ever wanted to do all day long was to go chase that ball and to bring it back. But how did that happen? Again, it wasn't just because we just threw the ball one day and the dog's smart enough to say, hey, I'm going to go fetch that ball and bring it back to my owner. It wasn't that at all. It was through those rewards that the dog began to do that. There's a leadership principle that says what's rewarded is repeated. Do we reward our spouse when our desires are being met? Now think about that for a moment. Do we reward our spouse when our desires are, are being met? Do we, acknowledge, do we acknowledge that they are helping us reach these desires that we have? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We said when, when our expectations are, are being met, what do we do? We're not, we're not thankful for it, are we? We're like, hey, you're supposed to do this. So what happens when we begin to actually help our spouse live out these desires and they're helping us live out our own desires? Do we acknowledge that? Here's how we reward our spouse. It's so simple and easy. We just say thank you, which means maybe a little note. Maybe it's a post-it and you write on it before you go to work and you put it on the, on the mirror there in the bathroom or you put it in the car, whatever it may be. Maybe it's an email, a text message. Better yet, face-to-face. -face. Hey, thank you for helping me to live out these desires that I have within our marriage. Thank you. Be grateful for, for what they are doing. Make sure that you're encouraging them in that relationship. Because there's power when we reward our spouse when things are happening that, that we've desired. Which, which means we have to have open communication we got to talk. we, we got to converse. This can't be a one-way street. There has to be communication that takes place between us and our spouse. I'll tell you another great way to do this. We talked about the five love languages the very first week. Uh, knowing your love language and knowing your spouse's love language is so important because when they are living out your desires, one of the best things that we can do is to know that love language and begin to express that love language towards them. Man, you're talking about something powerful within your relationship? Uh, that's a reward that, that continues to give over and over and over again. For us to get to those places, though, we have to start by humbling ourselves, by being people that are humble, by humbling ourselves under God's leadership and, and saying, God, I want you to lead me forward in this. 
right now I am struggling. I am hurting. This marriage is tough. But, God, I'm going to humble myself to you. And I'm going to let you lead me, God, through this. I'm going to give you all the burden that I have. I'm going to let you carry that. And while that's going on, I'm going to start to take these other steps myself. I'm going to give my marriage CPR. And I'm going to see, God, what you can do with that. Even if you're looking at your marriage right now and you're saying, hey, our marriage is actually pretty good. You know what? Are you still humbling yourself? Because we can kind of fake ourselves out by saying, hey, I'm good. But in reality, we're not. But if we are in a good place, are we still being humble under God? Are we allowing God to lead us? And are we still having these conversations with our spouse to make sure we truly understand who they are and where they're coming from? I believe if we take these steps today, if we have this trade, if we, we give our marriage CPR, I know that God will begin to transform, more importantly, us as individuals, which then I believe impacts our marriages. And when that takes place, God, as Peter said, will bless them. In God's time, but will bless them. And then I think those marriages will be transformed too. As we come to our communion time this morning, and as we think about this humility, we have the greatest example of it with Jesus. Uh, Jesus had every reason to be narcissistic. Jesus had every reason to say, I'm better than everyone else. But Jesus didn't. Jesus said, I'm going to show you what true humility looks like. Maybe for you and I within our marriage, within any relationship we have, the number one thing that we need to do or to, to, to be like is to be like Christ and to be as humble as Jesus was as he went up on that cross and he died for you and for me to show us this is humility at its best. This is serving those around you. This is unconditional love.